The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast, proudly brought to you by SJP world media i am Sai, and joining me as always as we traipse back all the way through the crazy existence of this wrestling company from the very first episode of monday nitro right through to the sad ending in 2001 is the wrestling encyclopedia himself mr scottish danny how are you doing my friend really well mate how's yourself not too bad but not too bad a little bit of context for everyone listening the date of this recording obviously it will be coming out at a later time but the date that we're recording this episode is the anniversary of scott hall turning up on nitro in 96 danny wow that's just blowing my mind yeah 27 years ago yeah Oh, wow. Yeah, we've been doing this so long now. It's been brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're into episode 70 odd now, aren't we? So, you know, yeah. it's good. Really enjoying it, mate. Really enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe this episode of Nitro tested how much I was enjoying it, but yeah. we'll get into that shortly. The episode of Nitro we are looking at for this week's show is the one that first broadcast on the 30th of September 1996 from Cleveland, Ohio. It received a 3.3 in the television ratings in comparison to Monday Night Raw that received 2.3. So a bit of a jump up for Raw from last week. Uh, it was a flat two last week for Raw. Nitro gained a, a small amount, but Raw their ratings have jumped by by 0.3 went from a flat two up to 2.3 so at least you know it's heading in the right direction but it still pales in comparison to what nitro are doing i think danny definitely mate and i'm just hoping that they use the undertaker on the uh, actual show rather than keeping him on dark matches well let's have a little look about what happened <laughs> on this particular episode of monday night raw uh, we had steve austin defeating jake roberts we had the godwins defeating the Grimm twins, Jared Grimm and Jason Grimm. Do you know who they are? No, no clue. <laughs> Nor me. Uh, we have Savio Vega defeating Razor Ramon, or the fake Razor, as it is, by disqualification. And then your main event of the evening was Vader tagging with Jim Cornette, of all people. And they <laughs> defeated Shawn Michaels, and he was tagging with Jose Lafario. Uh, and that was your rundown of the matches that happened on this particular Monday Night Raw. A few other segments as well. There was um, Mankind and Paul Bearer building up to the Buried Alive match against The Undertaker. Uh, the Undertaker was in a graveyard cutting a promo as well. Um, and we had an announcement that next week Psycho Sid will face, will face Goldust. So let's see if that does anything for their ratings next week. But there we go. But that is what's happened on Monday Night Raw. We are going to talk about what happened on Monday Nitro. But before we dive into that, we need to have a little look at what happened over the weekend in the crazy world of World Championship Wrestling. We need to have a little look at Saturday Night. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Danny, what have you got for us, mate? 
well, this was a very stacked edition of uh, Saturday Night that aired on the 28th of September. We had the WCW World Tag Team Champions, Public Enemy, defeating High Voltage. We also had Dean Malenko defeating Brad Armstrong. Okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, we had um, Eddie Guerrero defeating somebody called Max that I'm not sure we've seen on Nitro yet. Okay. Yeah. Is Max... Uh, Oh, he's a, he, I think he's a, he's quite a big, muscly dude, and sometimes he would spell his name with more than one X. Um, yes, we might, it. yeah, we might have seen him, or he might be coming up to see him as sort of like a muscle-bound guy standing behind other people as like as sort of like in an enforcer role. But I'd have to go back and have a little look into that. Sorry, sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, that's. Um, we also had Conan defeating the Gambler, your favorite wrestler, sir. So. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> We have finally Rough and Ready are back because Mike Enos and Dick Slater defeated Chris Jericho and Jim Powers, which is quite surprising. Rough and Ready, um, bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> Chavo Guerrero overcame Disco Inferno. Uh, and we're not done yet. We're only halfway done. Really? Uh, How long was this show? I have no idea. I really need to go back <laughs> and see this one because there were a lot of matches. It could be like that clash we watched where there was a lot of matches, but they were very, very short. Yes. Yeah. Um, we had the Barbarian and Meng defeating Scott and Steve Armstrong. So all three brothers are wrestling on this Saturday night. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Interesting. And then in our semi-main event, we had Lex Luger defeating Juventud Guerrero. And and then in our main event, Big Bubba rolled over Randy Savage by disqualification. Ah, interesting. And we have a little bit more about the whole Randy Savage ending to Saturday night. Because uh, we have a recap in this episode of Nitro, which we will get to shortly. Ah, okay. There was a lot going on on that episode of Saturday night, wasn't there? That was that was yeah. rammed full of stuff. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear me. The intro to Nitro, Danny... I, I, I said we we're going to look out for it, but I keep forgetting. But this week, I didn't forget. Yeah, Red and Yellow Hogan, still on the intro to the episode. <laughs> they haven't changed that, and it's been a couple of months now, hasn't it? I know, I know. A bit silly, but there we go. Uh, the show opens with Tony Schiavone talking about last week and saying it's the lowest point in the history of their great program because, obviously, the NWO took over whilst a lot of the WWE roster were in Japan. And we're told Eric Bischoff will have a response to the NWO this evening. And then we're told Eric Bischoff is going to have a response to the NWO right now. So we go across to the other uh, broadcast location where, to be fair, I think Bischoff cuts a pretty good promo. He talks about the history of World Championship Wrestling, how you can trace the lineage of this company and its title back to 1905. He talks about the Thunks, Dusty Rhodes, Lou Fez, and so on. And basically says that what happened last week won't happen again. We're not going to tolerate it. And, you know, they're coming for the NWO. So I thought this was a really, really good bit of, of work by Bischoff himself here. What did you think, Danny? Same, mate. I mean, this um, Eric Bischoff's growing stronger and stronger as a character for me now. Um he he delivered very, very well, especially considering all the rubbish that he put up with the week before, getting slapped in the head. You could tell that he's at boiling point now. And um, I love the fact that he brought up um, that the company's um, lineage could be traced back to 1905 because um, that's something I really want to look into. I mean, I think it's with the World Championship, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you think... WCW itself was created when Ted Turner bought out the Crockett's in the late 80s. So before WCW existed, it was under the name Jim Crockett Promotions. And that was the wrestling show where obviously, you know, Flair held numerous titles. Dusty Rhodes was involved in the 80s. The Starcade came from and all this sort of stuff. Uh, it was effectively just a name change when Turner brought it. Lots of other behind-the-scenes changes as well, but WCW became WCW when, when Turner bought Crockett. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, you can trace back for decades and decades. And the, the title itself, the NWA World title, obviously dates back to you know the early 1900s, became very much synonymous with the Crockett territory. 
in the 80s, well, even the 70s and before maybe, because of the, the wrestlers that would hold the NWA championship, a great deal of them worked for Crockett, especially in the 80s when you got into the likes of Flair and uh, and so on. And then by the time Turner bought out Crockett in the late 80s, the rest of the territories were pretty much done. I mean, you still had a few knocking about. You had some stuff going on in Texas still uh, and a few others dotted about. But... I mean, I think the AWA was still clinging on just about. I mean, I don't know, when, when was it they went out of business? 88, 87, maybe? So I'd have to look that up. But yeah, it's, it's kind of, Crockett was really the last, the last one that was uh, in a position to challenge the WWF before they realized that they were in shit tons of debt and struggling like hell and sold to Turner. So, but then of course, you know, they do go on to challenge the WWF because they have you know national television and all that sort of stuff. So you, yeah, you can literally trace the title that is being carried around at the moment by Hollywood Hogan as it was the, it was the NWA world title when it was initially bought in, in 1986, it replaced the 10 pounds of gold that Ric Flair was holding at the time in 86 when that bout came in. And yeah, so you can trace that back to the original, well, I say the original, it wasn't the original, but that old fashioned styling of the, the NWA championship, which then takes you back through the decades again. So yeah, it is very much a case of being able to trace it all the way back to, to those early days, Danny fantastic stuff i love stuff like that so after this i'm gonna have a, a deep dive ah lovely stuff tell me what you find um <laughs> we open our i suppose the wrestling portion of this show with our world tag team champions we're told that the tag team champions are going to be wrestling and Hubertu guerrera is coming out and he is partnered by a guy named el technico who if you imagine the old PlayStation wrestling games and you'd be able to build a, you know, make a wrestler kind of uh, aspect to it. That's what El Technico looks like. He's head to toe in gear. He's got a shit mask on. It looks like he's borrowed someone's pajamas that are a bit too small for him to wrestle in. And it's just very generic. Effectively. And he's just, he just doesn't look convincing in the slightest. I'm not going to lie here, Danny. I 100% forgot that Public Enemy had won the tag titles. <laughs> and I wrote in my notes, Harlem Heat versus El Tecnico and Juve Guerrera before Public Enemy came out. And that's changed it. I was like, oh yeah, shit. Public Enemy won the tag titles, <laughs> didn't they? Uh, really, you, you're not to be blamed at all. So, I mean, we, we both said last week we were very surprised that Public Enemy um, would win the tag team championships because I had no idea WCW saw any that sort of equity in them. Um, although they have been around since the start of Nitro, they've had that long feud with the Nasty Boys. I really just didn't think that they would put the tag team championships on them. So we'll see where this goes. But yeah, it really does feel out of place. I think it is looking at more so where it goes than the actual win itself. But we won't, we'll get into that as we, as we uh, tread through the timeline, I suppose. Uh, El Technico. Any idea who that is, Danny? No, but as you described um, his uh, attire, I was thinking, yeah, his name is also very generic as well, isn't it? Yes. Uh, this was originally supposed to be Psychosis, tagging with Huertude Guerrera. Uh, but Psychosis, the naughty little scamp that he is, got himself in a bit of trouble with the law. He was detained at the border control. Uh, trying to get into the country from from somewhere it was from the Japan tour where we've been to Mexico and back or whatever. Um, I'm assuming, and again, I'm I'm, I'm making these assumptions without doing the, the proper level of research I should have, I suppose. But I'm assuming, you know, on the basis that it's psychosis and he's been detained at the border, it was drugs related. But there we go. Uh, so they had to find a replacement to partner Juve Guerrera pretty bloody quickly. So they looked around the locker room and grabbed hold of Billy Kidman and said, put this mask on, get out there, and just let them beat you. So that's kind of where El Technico came from. Uh, maybe we should have an El Technico t-shirt or something, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I mean, this is basically a squash match, isn't it? I mean, Public Enemy looked decent, don't get me wrong. They, they, they entertained me for, for when they were in the ring, but it doesn't last very long, and Public Enemy effectively squash the opposition uh, El Technico takes the pin doesn't get a single move in 
as far as I can remember in the match. He doesn't even throw a punch and, and ends up getting beat. So yeah, how did how did you find this opener here, Danny? Pretty much the same. Um, now you've said that that could be Billy Kidman. Uh, just as a random guess, I'm really going to have to look into this as well because now I'm intrigued. No, it um, was it was it was Billy Kidman, yeah. Oh, it was. Oh, right. Yes, it was, yeah. yeah, it was Billy <laughs> no. Kidman. Like I said, psychosis was uh, yeah. a little bit oh. of hot water, so they had to find yeah. somebody else to step in quickly, and and Billy Kidman was there. So <laughs> I wonder if he'll take this gimmick even further uh, next week. <laughs> I don't think we see this again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But um, one thing I kept getting distracted by was the fact that Larry Sabisco kept calling Guerrero Guerrero um, and he just kept doing it. So I was just like, ah, oh, stop, stop. But um, yeah, it was just a, a serviceable match. Yeah, it did what needed to do, I suppose. Uh, we then go across to Mike Tenay for the first time this evening, still standing in for Mean Gene. And Tenay is with Benoit and Mongo McMichael. They are talking about uh, matches that are coming up and making sure that if you see one horseman, you know, the others aren't far away because of what happened last week. They're seeking out to the NWO and so on. Uh, again, serviceable, did what it needed to do. Benoit's just not particularly great on the mic. Or, he basically has zero charisma, doesn't he? Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, but Mongo did okay, I think, in a very, in a very you know, Nine, almost 1980s style shouty wrestling promo, I suppose. It was serviceable, Danny, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, Mongo is learning off of um, wrestlers that were in the 1980s, so I'm not surprised. Um, and then we got our main event announcement of Chris Benoit versus Rex, Rex Steiner tonight as well, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, doesn't exactly scream high-profile contest, though, does it? <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, but there we go. Uh, we then get the familiar announcement of, you know, this following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. And then we get Hogan's voice going, not anymore, and having a little bit of a giggle. Um, because WCW, are they paying for these announcements? They have to, because WCW lost war games, apparently. I'm not sure how the legality of that works, but there we go. Uh, the NWO are in a hotel room partying away with wine and so on and they're all i suppose it's 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 good in the way that we're seeing the nwo and we're seeing them all just basically act like idiots and be dicks and have a few drinks and so on which is kind of what you want from the nwo but i think the issue you've got now is you've got everyone trying to get their stuff in You've got everyone trying to say their lines or they've got a joke to crack or they've got something to say. So everyone kind of talks over each other and there's no real uh, structure to what they're doing. Now, I understand that's part of the appeal of what they're trying to accomplish. It is chaotic. It is out of control. But I find it at times a little difficult to follow when you've got the giant talking, then Hogan's trying to say something. You've got six on the phone placing an order of room service very, very loudly. Um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are trying to make a joke of some sort. And all this is going on at the same time. Again, it works if it's not overdone. And I think in this episode, it kind of gets overdone a little bit. What did you think, Danny? Yeah, that's just my thoughts exactly because um, we're going to get to that later on in the night. But this was a historic moment. Do you know why, sir? Why is that, mate? We had the debut of Nick Hogan on a wrestling TV show here. Ah, uh, Nasty Nick, he was referred to as, wasn't he? You know? <laughs> yes, he was uh, all of six years old here and uh, he really? already a member of the NWO. <laughs> he didn't really look like he wanted to be there, did he? No, <laughs> not in the slightest. <laughs> not at all, no. Uh, the one thing I did take from this was they, uh, Kevin Nash saying he just watched the interview with Mongo and uh, Benoit and so on, on on the screen here. And he said, oh, it's obvious that Deborah wants me. That tickled me. I don't know why. It just made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> But there we go. Uh, next up, though, we have a little bit more wrestling. And we actually have some wrestling wrestling. It says wrestling on the poster, as I say all the time. And that's what this was. We have Dean Malenko versus Alex Wright. And this I really, really enjoyed, Danny. Talk us through what you saw here. The first thing I noticed about this was, um, well, Dean Malenko's grown as a character as well. But 
him being almost obsessed with Rey Mysterio carrying out his mask. This reminded me of um, WWE basically copied this in the Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio feud um, about 10 years after this. Um, I loved this little um, quirk from Dean Malenko. But and as far as this match goes, um, I did notice a lot of submissions. Um, Dean Malenko out-wrestling Alex Wright in this. Um, which is really cool. And then Dean also working a lot on Alex Wright's leg. Um, and Wright had some some uh, fantastic drop kicks all throughout this match. And then a very surprising finish for me because I did not think that Dean Malenko was going to lose this. Um, what what did you think, Si? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I, I thought there was only going to be one winner here. I think yeah. Alex Wright is a very talented guy. Uh, but he has his role in the business. He he wrestles on the lower end of the mid card, and to me, he's there to put on a decent match, but then ultimately get beat by the guy who's going into maybe a pay per view contest or a storyline with somebody else, and so on. That's kind of the role I've seen Alex Wright in since we started this project. However, here, Dean Malenko goes into the corner, jumps to the top rope, tries a flying crossbody, misses. And then Alex Wright wins with a cradle out of nowhere for the three count. And it really is a big surprise that Alex Wright has, has got the victory here. Yeah, I'm noticing something. We had last week Public Enemy, nobody thought they would win. This week, Alex Wright. I'm noticing maybe WCW is trying to uh, surprise some fans. Well, Bischoff has spoken at length on various shoot interviews and podcasts and, and so on about market research and he talks about speaking to wwf fans and wcw fans getting them to watch the program um, getting them to tick like and dislike with certain things on screen so they engage what people are enjoying and then he asks them what they like about pro wrestling in general what they want from their television and one of the things that kept coming up again according to, to mr bischoff himself one of the things that kept coming up was people want to be shocked and surprised so maybe you're right. Maybe this is a conscious decision by WCW to start chucking in the odd upset to get that reaction out of people, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I wish wrestling nowadays would do because everything's predictable. Mm. Yeah, this is it. Very true. Very true. But there we go. A few other things to take from this match, I think. Uh, we have a lot of talk about where is Sting from the commentary team. Tony Schiavone's asking it a great deal, and he talks about how we, how WCW should have trusted Sting, and we need him back. Uh, the, you know, the NWO uh, are running riot, and so on. So I thought that was quite um, uh, an interesting point as well. The fact that they're openly talking about this guy who's not on television at the moment, and yeah. basically saying, "Where's Sting? We need him." Yeah, and they really do, and that's where the beauty of the story is going. Is like we now know why Sting is angry, and he's declared himself a free agent. So why wouldn't he just? Uh, why it would make no sense if he just turned up the week after. Mm. Yes, when he can sit at home painting his face and earning all <laughs> that sweet Turner money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we get a clip of uh, WW Saturday Night. And it's of Liz watching Randy Savage against Bubba. And Liz is obviously concerned about Savage. Again, it comes back to the fact that everyone, uh, all pro wrestling fans of a certain age hold Liz in a certain light. A lot of people have a soft spot for her because of the WWF run and so on. But she can't act. She is terrible. And here she's showing concern and worry about Savage while Savage is actually winning the match. So that didn't quite make sense to me. But then he goes off the rails, Savage, and attacks a referee and all the usual craziness we get from him. And this leads to a lot of questions by Arn Anderson and Woman later in the show, basically saying to Liz, where, where have you been? Why are you turning up on Saturday night? Where do your allegiances lie, Danny, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. I mean, I was one of those people that said, oh, Liz can't act or anything like that. I think she struggles to act as a heel and she's much better in this role where she's a little bit vulnerable and she's concerned. She's excellent mm. at that. But being a heel, I, I can't see it from her. But just um, quickly on the Saturday night replay that we saw, um, do you think that 
Macho Man punching uh, Nick Patrick should have been saved for a pay-per-view on Nitro, sir? Um, I can see your point because it is quite a big moment. But at the same time, is it a big moment because we're assuming what happens with Nick Patrick in the future? Or at least on my case, I've got to know where Nick Patrick ends up in the future. At the time, if you place yourself in that particular weekend in 1996, Nick Patrick is a named referee, but then so are the Everest. We know, we know Randy Anderson and, and so on. Savage is attacking referees. Is it just a case of Savage attacking another referee and we just happen to know what this guy's been up to? I don't know. Uh, the next time we see Nick Patrick, though, is in our next contest and he's wearing a neck brace. And the neck brace becomes a big part of the matches on Nitro that we're watching for this episode of Nitro Nights today. So I suppose it had to happen before Nitro for him to have the brace on for refereeing now to then lead into the stuff later in the show with Teddy Long and so on. So I suppose it does kind of make sense. And the fact that they're yeah. replaying it on Nitro. Yeah, I think the fact that they're replaying it on Nitro does kind of cover for those who haven't seen Saturday Night, I think. But I can see yeah. where you're coming from with regards to what's, what Patrick has been up to in recent weeks should it have been a bigger deal. Um, but I, I don't think what Nick Patrick has has done in recent weeks and the, and the build-up with regards to him as a character. I don't think we're at the end game with that by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't think we need to be concerned about stuff happening on Saturday night rather than on a, a bigger platform right now, if that makes sense. Got you, mate. Yeah. But like I said, I, I could be completely wrong, you know, but there we go. Uh, Randy Savage then is supposed to be speaking with Mike Tanay. His music hits, but Savage doesn't turn up. And everyone's wondering where he is. And Mike Tanay says, well, he knew he had an interview time with me. He's not come out. Um, I suppose we go back to the ring or we go to our ad break and, and so on. So it's, it's a bit of an odd one that Savage hasn't arrived. But then what I find very strange is they're selling this thing of Savage not arriving and they don't know where Randy is. And the very next thing they do is run a promo for Halloween Havoc, a sweepstake competition, and Slim Jim, their sponsors, with Randy Savage all over it. I thought that the timing of that is just daft, isn't it? It really is, yeah. It's like you're concerned about Randy Savage, but then you're like, oh, he was probably here all along shooting this commercial. <laughs> Yeah, Flair turns up in the commercial as well, and it's just, it's so cheesy and so, it's just bad, isn't it? It is, but it's wrestling bad, so, like, I I just got a big kick out of it, but I would have loved if um, Hollywood Hogan was on the other side, but I guess maybe they didn't pay him enough or something, and they just chucked Ric Flair in there. It would it would it make a, a bit little less sense. But um yeah, it, as a I think this thing this commercial went about five minutes. Um it ran long, didn't it? Yeah. 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 And um it's kind of taking you on a roller coaster, but it really showed the acting chops of uh Macho Man, which I really liked as well. Yeah, he's he's definitely earning that Slim Jim cash, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, up next, we have Eddie Guerrero, who we haven't seen for a short period after he was attacked by Darren Dallas Page. And he is taking on Jim Powers. Nick Patrick is your referee, wearing the aforementioned neck brace, which he keeps pointing at and saying, you know, back off, leave me alone, and all this sort of stuff. Um, this, to me, starts quite well. We, we have some actual wrestling. You know, hold for hold, a few exchanges and so on. Before Eddie Guerrero gets frustrated at not being able to out-wrestle Jim Powers, he rushes at him and it turns into a bit of a brawl on the floor. Uh, Powers then takes control with literally that. He takes control with the, his, his superior power to Eddie Guerrero, who is a much smaller guy. And then we get the NWO, I suppose, brigade fans coming out with their signs. And everyone starts chanting NWO, NWO from the crowd. And it, again, just reminds me how NWO are supposed to be this bad guy invading faction. But people want to see them. People are cheering them. And it kind of does affect what's going on. I mean, you've got two baby faces in the ring, effectively, Jim Powers versus Eddie Guerrero, which makes it sometimes quite difficult to get a, an in, a crowd invested because you haven't, you've got no storyline going into this match between Powers and Guerrero. But also, you haven't got the standard heel and face dynamic 
where you could work something out in the ring with a bit of cheating by one guy distracting the ref and so on uh, and getting heat from the audience in that that way you've got two guys who are basically baby faces danny haven't you yeah you really have um at this point we know jim powers has his role um, as you was talking about with alex right earlier um i can imagine that although eddie guerrero is a big star here he's still on the rise and it's like um I can imagine Eddie Guerrero at this point with this distraction going on with the fans um, chanting for something else was not a happy bunny here. Mm, Yes, indeed. Um, We do get more talk of Sting as well. He's referred to as an island to himself. And Larry Zabisco almost goes as far as to call Sting a bit selfish for not being around for WCW. When you think about what happened at Fall Brawl and so on. Um, I don't quite agree with that. Sting... Sting was stabbed in the back by all his friends, but there, there we go. Um, <laughs> Powers gets a near fall off a superplex, which looked quite good. But then we go into the finish, and it's a bit of a mess, Danny, isn't it? I didn't really understand what was going on here. Yeah, it, it was a bit odd. Um, I wrote down, did Powers kick out disputed finish, Teddy Long and Nick Patrick argue? I mean, uh, yeah, it Maybe poss- because of who the referee is, I'm inclined to say this wasn't a botch, but you never know. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Eddie Guerrero kind of goes for a roll up, which is messy, and his <laughs> power's shoulders don't go down because of the way they mess up the roll up. So Eddie Guerrero picks them up and looks like he's just calling an audible in the ring here and, and hits a, a German suplex of a neck bridge. The ref then counts to three as both guys kind of shuffle their shoulders around a bit, they play Jim Powers' music before Nick Patrick says, no, it's a three count for Eddie Guerrero. Very strange. Very strange. Yeah. But also in this match, we get the little uh, announcement of we're going to have Ric Flair versus the the Giant at uh, Halloween Havoc as well. Yes, that is true. Uh, I don't know. Is that for the United States title? I would assume so. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes, I'll be honest. I got I got a note here later on in the show. They start talking about Ric Flair's U.S. Championship. It's similar to Republic Enemy. I'd forgotten that Ric Flair was the U.S. Champion. <laughs> Me too, mate. Do you know what I've had to start doing is actually write the champions down on each of my notes just to make sure. <laughs> they mentioned um, Stephen Regal later on uh, as yeah. their television champion. I totally forgot that the TV title existed. Never mind who hold who's holding it. <laughs> Which is really weird because when we first started, um, we know Lex Luger had a uh, well, shortly after we started, Lex Luger had a lengthy reign with it, and um, it just seems to have fell off a cliff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Tony Schiavone also acts a little bit like he doesn't know what's going on because he explains that Regal has been off traveling and defending the championship in Japan and Europe, he says. Uh, and he says, I believe successfully. So even he doesn't really know who their champion is at this point. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is a point where William Regal has entered uh, rehab. Uh, okay. And they're just saying that to cover up. Um, I'm going to have to dig into that after this. But yeah. Yeah, have a look for us, mate. Have a look. Good show. Um, yes, Teddy Long and uh, Nick Patrick have an argument. Nick Patrick is basically saying, if you want to referee, go get the blue shirt, you can jump on it and so on. Uh, I'm assuming this is going to go somewhere. I mean, if it doesn't, then what a waste of fucking time. But (laughs) we will see. And then we get another NWO segment. And the Nasty Boys have arrived in the hotel room. More food has been delivered. Everyone's shouting and yelling and celebrating the Nasties being in the same room as them. And Jerry Sags says, watch this jumps on the table and does the old Ace Ventura get up of talking out of his ass and saying, this is Eric Bischoff. I'm scared of the NWO. And the look on Scott Hall's face at the end of this is superb because Hall turns directly to the camera and just sort of goes, Ooh, like he knows that's crossed the line and they cut away pretty damn quickly. That, that tickled me a lot. Brilliant stuff. Um, that's very on brand for um, Brian Nobbs. Yes. Oh, well, Sags as well. Yes. Um, yeah. We then go back to Mike Tenay. He is talking with Arn Anderson, Woman and Liz. And Arn and Woman are not happy with Liz. And they're asking questions of her again. Uh, 
before we go back to the ring and we have we have well we have quite a a Saturday night feeling match for me because we have Hugh Morris taking on Brad Armstrong. Uh, this takes us into hour two of the program, uh, and the start of this is dominated by uh, more talk of Randy Savage no showing. We wonder where he is. I'm not going to lie, the crowd are pretty dead during this Morris Armstrong match. Um, Morris splats Armstrong with a power slam at one point, which looked incredible uh, before he hits two moonsaults for the win. It, it wasn't for me. I'm, not, I'm a big. I, I, every time we've seen Brad Armstrong, I've been impressed. But this one, it, it wasn't for me, Danny. No, I, I get you, Matt. And it wasn't for the announcers either because they barely talked about this match at all. Um, mm. To the point where I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna try to see how many times they actually called the moves. And I think it was about three three moves that they called. But yeah, they were just talking about other things, so they clearly wasn't interested either. <laughs> no, no, not good, not good. Uh, we get more of Arn, Woman, and Liz arguing backstage, and then we get a weird little moment with Eric Bischoff where he apologizes to Heenan and Tanay on commentary, and basically says he doesn't know where Randy Savage is. He wants to find out where this hotel is that the NWO are in. I'm sorry, guys. And then kind of just gets up and leaves. He says, if Tony Schiavone wants to come up here, he's more than welcome. And just buggers off. And it was like, oh, okay. See you later, Eric. (laughs) It was very odd. But the second um, Tony Schiavone came on the air, this was the birth of, um, when I think of WCW, this is the three-man announced team. That always comes to mind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who comes to mind for you? Um, I like, I suppose the nature of the beast for me, whenever I watched WCW back, this era isn't one that I would always dive into straight away. So when you say WCW commentary, one of the first teams that jumped to my mind is either Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura or Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura. Because that early 90s, kind of 92, 93 era is when I was watching it as a kid. Yeah. Now, the next port call would be, I suppose, pay-per-views from a later time that I would just chuck on randomly when we first got got the network and so on. And Dusty Rhodes then jumps into the equation because he was always on the commentary team in the the pay-per-views. But... I think ultimately Shavoni is the guy. Tony Shavoni is the guy that I always yeah. think of as the voice of WCW. And Heenan was kind of always there. So I suppose, yeah, Dusty, Heenan and Tony would be the three that would stand out the most for me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think. I don't know. It's a question nobody's ever really asked me before, son. Yeah, I think that's what I'd go with. I mean, that's the three that kind of stand out the most to me. But yeah, okay, interesting one. Uh, yeah, Bischoff's left the commentary position anyway, and then we finally get Arn Anderson appearing to wrestle, not just argue with ladies backstage. And he is taking on the still very young uh, Chris Jericho. There is no Miss Elizabeth coming out with Arn and Woman, but I mean, this again was was a pretty serviceable match, a pretty decent match. It wasn't anything spectacular, but it was still decent enough uh, we have an exchange of hammerlocks early on before jericho kind of grapevines Arn anderson's legs on a takedown um liz is watching in w- what everyone now refers to as the gorilla position because of how wwf reference it i believe in wcw it was just called the go position but it's just behind the curtain she's watching on a monitor which doesn't really make any sense why would she be sat there watching on a monitor why won't she just go out to the ring anyway it, it makes no sense. I, I wrote down the exact same thing. But I did have a note about, for years, WWE have been hammered for the way they shoot wrestlers um, watching television backstage. I was shocked that WCW were doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I think part of it was a, a funny angle because that's just what wrestling does. I mean, another part of it was because there's no room back there at all, is there? <laughs> Like literally no no room whatsoever. I mean you see shots of the gorilla position on WWF television yeah. and it's cramped. You know, and they try and get as many people in there as they can and so on. Uh, especially er, in the earlier days. Nowadays it's a bit different, but in in the sort of eighties and nineties. 
but this is really cramped and there's no space whatsoever. And she's surrounded by curtains. It, it was very, very odd layout, I think. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jericho hits a pretty spectacular flying shoulder block off the apron to the floor. And this is when, it, you know, inevitably it was bound to happen. Woman gets involved uh, because of this distraction. Arn Anderson takes control for a little while before he attempts to come off the middle rope and Jericho counters this with a dropkick for a pretty cool looking spot. Um, we then cut to Liz leaving. She's got her bags and she's got some some paperwork of some description. And she's walking out the arena. She's off. She, she, you know, everyone's like, okay, well, Liz is going then, fine. Uh, Jericho is flying around the place. <laughs> he hits an elbow off the top rope, uh, a springboard shoulder block, but then he misses the lion salt. And this, for me, wrestling-wise, uh, was one of the moments of the night. Jericho misses the lion salt, but lands on his feet, but he's off balance. And he kind of teeters a little bit of his head down. Arn Anderson gets up, looks at him for a moment, sees this is his chance, and quick as a flash, bang, hits the DDT and pins him. This was brilliant. Yeah. Th- th- to me, this is Madison. And I, um, I love that finish because Jericho, in losing, definitely got put over. But the thing that made me happiest about this match was when woman slapped Chris Jericho, the crowd exploded. Yes. Yes. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think they've been great, this this crowd, on this, this Nitro. I think they've been pretty pretty quiet and almost at times like they just didn't give a shit about anything <laughs> you know and I, i'm going to come to that when, when i sum up my thoughts on the episode shortly anyway but uh yeah i mean again we, we've seen liz leaving the arena we're then told by the commentary team well reminded sorry that eric bischoff has also left the arena and they're asking is he on his way to the hotel um i I don't know at this stage if this is going to lead to anything i'm thinking this could be quite exciting spoiler alert people it leads to fuck all this week um (laughs) we then get uh the artist formerly known as vk war street makes his entrance who is now known as m war street again so they've dropped the 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 vincent kennedy references uh after what just about a year of it danny i suppose yeah just about yeah, going back to M Wall Street or Michael Wall Street was the previous uh, name he used, and he's taken on Lex Luger. And I thought, well, okay, Luger's popular. At least we'll get a reaction from the audience for Luger. And again, they're just as flat as a pancake, aren't they? They just they just don't care. <laughs> yeah, they. You can see why they needed Sting. It's not just Sting, though. It. Uh... I'll get to that in the end. I'll get to, I'll, I'll get to that when we sum it up because we're nearly there now anyway. Um, this was a very 80s style wrestling match for me with the heel applying some lengthy rest holds or submission holds. We have an abdominal stretch. We have a long chin lock spot and the heel behind the referee's back using the ropes for extra leverage uh, before there is a suplex attempt that doesn't go quite right. This gets countered into the rack and Luger wins. It... It was again. It was okay. It wasn't terrible, but it was quite slow. And when I say it was very eighties, I love eighties wrestling. As anyone who listens to chain wrestling on a Monday night or or a Wednesday will know. But there's a lot of eighties, a lot about eighties wrestling that doesn't hold up today. And this is the type of eighties wrestling. Bear in mind, this match is in nineteen ninety six, but this is the, a type of eighties wrestling that to me doesn't hold up because it's too slow. And it just, oh, I'm not going to lie, mate. I just got, I got a bit bored. Yeah. No, I get you. I mean, it was quite late into the show. Um, I, th- I feel like this was just a match to keep Lex Luger on television and keep him relevant in the storylines because the announcers were talking about his upcoming match at right, the pay-per-view okay. with Arn Anderson. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward uh, to that. It was kind of just there, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, that's 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 perfect way of summarising it. It was just there, and that was kind <laughs> of it. But, uh, up next is another little bit of an old one for me, because we have the faces of fear who are, I mean, they're, they're spectacular. They're massive guys, huge fellas, uh, powerhouses. They've got a pretty cool look to them, but they're still associated with the Dungeon of Doom, so instantly they lose marks for that. 
And they're taking on the Rock and Roll Express, who, again, I love my 80s wrestling. I love the Rock and Roll. I love the Midnights. I love all that sort of tag team divisions from those times, you know, again, referencing back to Crockett and other territory days. But this is 1996, and they're looking dated here. I mean, their, their gear looks old. It looks grey. It, it's <laughs> it's just not a good look, you know? And the sad thing is, as well, for the Rock and Roll is... Uh, they were so over in their day. They were a huge deal. But here in WCW in 96, I don't think we've heard them get a good crowd reaction yet, Danny. No, if we have, it was a long time ago. Um, I'm talking months ago. But yeah, um, I looked at this match as like, this is a total squash. And I thought it was going to be, but rock and roll did get um, a few hits in a few drop kicks but the art of this was something that um ricky morton in particular has always been praised for and that's his setting so right i think Um, faces of yeah sorry go on no i was going to say i think faces of fear um are definitely getting a mini push here i totally agree with ricky morton and you say about his selling and being praised for that his whole career and so on However, there is something I w- really need to point out that happens at the end of this match. Uh, effectively, the match the match begins and Ricky Morton is trying to apply a sleeper on the Barbarian. That gets countered quite quickly. Uh, Meng hits a pile driver. There's a vicious-looking powerbomb and then a terrible, awful, stiff-looking backbreaker by Barbarian. And they're basically beating the piss out of Ricky Morton. If anyone's seen a rock and roll match, you kind of know how this, this structure works. They come in the ring. The young girls scream for them. They fly about a bit. The heels take control on Morton, beat the crap out of him for a while. He gets the hot tag to uh, Gibson and then they clean house and sometimes win with their double drop kick other times they still lose whatever but that's kind of the structure pretty much every rock and roll match had for, for many many years here it's the same sort of thing Morton is getting the crap kicked out of him eventually he makes the hot tag to zero reaction there is no response whatsoever to this hot tag now this match is what 10 minutes long Danny something like that yeah I'd say for 75% of that, Morton's been beaten up. Yeah. He's been given that vicious powerbomb. He's been given a pile driver, that backbreaker. He's been hit with a double headbutt. All moves that you could argue would finish a match if his partner didn't come in and break the count or he didn't kick out at the last second himself. All of those moves, you could see finishing a wrestling contest. When the hot tag is made, Morton spends, I reckon, maybe if we're lucky... 15 seconds selling the beating he has just took before he jumps up, gets back in the ring and acts like he's just as, as fresh as a daisy. Yeah. That really pissed me off. Yeah. I, I can see that as well. It's like, maybe he was just having a bad night and this crowd definitely didn't help. No, that is true. That is true. Uh, when Morton comes back in, the rock and roll hit their double drop kick, which they use as a finish on some occasions before Jimmy Hart causes a distraction. Uh, Gibson goes to get Jimmy Hart. And now bear in mind, Morton has took this pile driver, this powerbomb, this backbreaker, the double headbutt, and got out of it every time. Uh, Gibson takes one kick to the head after being stood on the apron for the whole match and is pinned. <laughs> I didn't like this one bit. Nah. It, this weren't for me at all. This weren't for me at all. Just a real mess for me. Um, yeah. Public Enemy then arrive, but I don't know if I looked down to make a note or I was distracted by one of the animals or something, but I only saw Johnny Grunge. I didn't see Rocker Rock. Was he there? Uh, yeah, he was there. Um, they run in, attack Faces of Fear to absolutely no avail. And <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly, the Faces of Fear injure Public Enemy here. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I didn't see where Rock Rocker Rock went, but Johnny Grunge, they um they're attacking his knee quite badly, and then we just cut straight back to the NWO again, and we have Ted DiBiase on the phone asking where a delivery of booze is that they're all waiting for, and they've got Kyle Petty there, who is the racing car driver who's going to be driving for the NWO, uh, the NWO car. Sorry, um, I suppose this brings us back to something that we've kind of missed in an earlier moment. 
the WCW car that we spoke about in previous weeks, Danny, they bring that out and they say by way of apology to Sting to say to him, come back, we, we, we miss you. They've repainted the WCW car with, with Sting's face and imagery and colors and so on. I mean, it's a nice touch, and you can see it, they're not just like they're not just ignoring Sting. They're trying to you know still talk about him on the television and so on. Uh, but even with the the orange and the purple and the blue and Sting's face paint and so on, it still don't look as cool as that NWO car, does it? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one I'd rather have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, that then amazingly brings us to our main event which I was surprised about because I don't feel like we've really seen anyone of massive value at this point. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are guys here who are very talented and, and Aaron is a horseman and so on, but that brings us to our main event and we, to the point where we've not seen some of the bigger names, I guess, but we'll, again, we'll dive into that shortly. Uh, Benoit and Rick Steiner. Um, we get a mini Nick Patrick promo to the camera. But I love this. And I think this guy for a referee is, is pretty charismatic. And he talks about how uh, Savage is going to regret laying his hands on him in this ring. He is still the law and he's doing all this whilst wincing in pain and holding his neck brace. I thought this was brilliant by Nick Patrick. What did you think? Same, mate. Um, I remember reading years ago, I think, um, I think I believe he attempted to be a wrestler before he suffered an injury. Um, you can definitely see he had what it takes to be, because I would have loved to see a, a Nick Patrick versus Macho Man match. <laughs> I think you might be on your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Rick Steiner is in control after a pretty big suplex early on. Benoit does fight back with some chops and punches and so on. Deborah then distracts the referee so Mongo can get in the ring with his case as both competitors are on the ropes. And he nails uh, Steiner in the back. Both fall from the top rope with Benoit on top of Steiner for the win. Um, is there anything major there that you want to touch upon that I've missed, Danny? Yep, uh, we get the announcement of Chris Benoit and Mongo uh, will be taking on Faces of Fear at Halloween Havoc. Yes, yeah, seems a bit random, but okay. <laughs> gets them it on does, the card yeah there we go there we go i suppose we've got what we're on here the 30th of september halloween havoc's what the 27th or 28th of october so we've got a few weeks television to build something up between those two teams so it, it, it doesn't have to be a disaster i guess yeah and i did note down that this was a great horseman style win yeah it, it was distraction a little bit of cheating and yeah there you go we then get the I don't know what they call it. It's like the copyright writing at the bottom. We see it all the time with WWF pay-per-views as well. So, you know, WCW and the website and then copyright 1996 and so on. As though they're going off the air before Tony Schiavone says, oh, we're going back to the NWO again. They've got another of these announcements and we cut back to the NWO. So I quite liked the way that was done because it made you feel the show was going off the air, but the NWO were like, well, no, 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 we want our time as well. So that was quite a good little search, I think. Yeah, that really was. Uh, the surprise is, though, Liz, Miss Elizabeth, is sat next to Hogan and the giant on the sofa. And Hogan is talking movies with her. And he's ranting about he can get her this film deal. And the giant has been in these movies. And he did that and all this sort of stuff. Liz can't get a word in edgeways because there's so many voices going talking at the same time. So we still don't really know why she's there at this point. Vincent walks in with a box saying it's a present for the champ. He's told to bugger off. <laughs> they talk more with Liz. Then they want the present from Vincent, but we don't see what's in it. Um, <laughs> some food arrives on a trolley. Liz at this point decides she's leaving, gets up, walks out, goes into the corridor where Randy Savage comes running down the aisleway at her, down the corridor of this hotel. Uh, gets right in front of her face. And I, this was a little bit uncomfortable, to be fair. Yeah. Screaming, you son of a bitch, at her. What are you doing talking to them? What's going on, you son of a bitch? And that's where we go off air. So we don't see Savage try and attack the NWO. You've got this commotion going on just outside their hotel room. Nobody from the NWO comes out. And that's where the show just goes off the air. 
it was a bit of an odd ending for me. I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to, I suppose we're trying to, you know, raise questions about uh, Elizabeth and where her allegiances lie. She's not been there with the horsemen. They were questioning her. She's then sat talking to the NWO, but has got up and left without really knowing what was going on. And then Savage comes roaring into her face quite, quite uncomfortably, quite, quite nastily, questioning her motives as well. There's a lot of unanswered questions, which makes me want to watch next week's show. But at the same time, it just kind of felt, I don't really know how to word it, it just kind of felt a bit disjointed, a bit wonky for me, Danny. Yeah, I can definitely see that, mate. And it's like, I was just thinking, what happened to Eric Bischoff? Like, how how did the Macho Man get to the hotel before Eric Bischoff? <laughs> well, this is the thing, isn't it? We're t- We've had Bischoff cut that promo at the beginning. We've had Bischoff cut a mini promo as he's supposed to be doing his commentary job and then leave. And then they talk throughout the show. Bischoff is on his way to the hotel room. Is he? Is he not? Should we send somebody to protect him? And then we don't see him. So I'm, I don't know if we're going to get information about this next week. Hopefully we will. Or is this just going to be another example of WCW just kind of forgetting what they've done and, and not giving us answers? I don't know. I mean, I suppose the big thing is, and the big thing I take away from this episode of Nitro is, let's just move on to next week, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And he was bang on about much of man screaming at um, Liz. He, he kept saying the phrase, this has got to be a rib. Is this a rib? I was like, is stop. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like, I, she was carrying. Obviously we've yeah. talked about how she's not a great actress in certain scenarios. And, um, but here I'm hoping that she has just all of a sudden got her acting chops because she looks terrified. Yeah. As Sav- it, Savage is right in her face. Really, really intense yelling and screaming and walloping the walls and so on it was quite uncomfortable now bearing in mind this is supposed to be our baby face here this is supposed to be at this moment in time with sting missing savage is kind of well he's going into the next pay-per-view main event savage is kind of our number one baby face at this point in time and he's not acting in a way that i'm particularly comfortable with yeah um how would you have ended this little scene um si if you could oh man um I wouldn't have had Savage getting aggressive with Liz. Mm. I, I think it would have worked if Savage ran down, saw her leaving the room, and was asking the questions of what was going on, as yeah. opposed to making the assumption and then screaming at her. And then after he's asked the question a few times and Liz tries to convince him of, of what's happening, just have Hogan jump him. Just have Hogan yeah. jump him, beat him up, go off air with that. Because at the moment, we, we're still kind of thinking, well, what happens next? Which is fine, because what happens next makes you want to tune in. But that would have eradicated the need for Savage to be quite verbally abusive to the young lady. And it would have also meant that Hogan laying out Savage, it would have added more, I think, to the story for this week. As we look at this episode as a standalone right now, it would have added more for the Halloween Havoc story than savage just shouting in the corridor for me yeah yeah would you have done anything different or i i think the only thing because i thought about this for quite a while and i think i would have had the nasty boys come out and much a man just lays into them and just destroys them yeah fair enough i mean anytime we get to see the nasty boys get punched in the mouth i'm on on board with that yes So. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so then i suppose we better summarize the show give our final thoughts our plus points and our negatives our woos and our oh brothers my friend brother 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 brothers brother brother do you want to go first or second this week i'll go second this week mate Okie doke. Uh, I will start, well, we will start, sorry, with our O-Brothers, because I like to try and finish on something positive if I can. Uh, my O-Brother this week is the Rock and Roll Express. And I hate myself for saying that, because they're kind of from an era I adore, but they looked out of place. They looked dated. It, it just wasn't very good. And I, that's a real shame for me. Uh, what's, what's your negative? What's your O-Brother? It would be... <sighs> sort of like throughout the show the nwo 
kind of not making sense in the hotel room. What were they going to do? I mean, we know that they were watching Nitro, but it's like nothing happened. You could like you could really miss this and no advancement of the storyline apart from Liz uh, showing up at the hotel room happened. Um, yeah, it was, so it's kind of for the first time I'm going to put the NWO on my old brother. Oh my goodness! Why? Okay. <laughs> uh, positives then. My woo. Um, I, I was going to give a shout to Dean Malenko because the guy is just insanely good. What a wrestler this guy is in 96. It's a top, top class. But I'm going to go with Arn Anderson and the finish of his match against Jericho. The way Arn looked a little bit out of it. Jericho landed on his feet, was off balance. Arn saw this was his moment. Wallop, that that DDT looked amazing. Yeah, the the finish of that. Arn Anderson's DDT is my woo this week. What about your good self? It has to be Eric Bischoff um, all throughout the night because you could tell from the start of Nitro he was so angry about last week's abuse and then to the point where he's just like, no, I'm not going to sit here and call the rest of this match. Uh, I'm just going to storm off. So even though I didn't like that we didn't find out what happened to him, that is uh, a key um, motivation in seeing for next week. So, yeah, it'll be Eric yeah. Bischoff's um, his revenge. Yeah, hopefully we do find out stuff next yeah. week. Hopefully. Come on, WSW, don't let us down. Because um, <laughs> he's gone missing before, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, and then it was like, oh, I was just in meetings all day. And it's like, come <laughs> on, try a bit harder. Um, <laughs> uh, hit, miss, or middle in then, my friend? It's going to be a mid-middle. Um, I yeah. was thinking about giving it a high middle, but I feel like... It was very entertained watching the entire show, but it was like um, no real, as I was saying about the NWO, a storyline advancement. Um, yeah, this would give me a mid-middle, mate. How about yourself? I've got middle as well, but I think I'm a little bit more negative than you are. So I suppose, if anything, maybe we're looking at a low middle from me. Um, it's not so bad that it's a miss, but I do also think you could not watch this episode of Nitro. I think if you're watching along with us, you could quite easily skip this episode of Nitro and you won't miss much at all. I also think that maybe without us realizing it in previous weeks, Danny, we've kind of stumbled across an issue with the WCW roster here in that it's pretty top heavy when it comes to star quality or, or name value at least. So we've lost Sting for the foreseeable future. The NWO have swallowed up Hogan, Hall and Nash and the Giant. So those are four main event players. Yeah. So instantly then, and you, you, you take Randy Savage into the equation as well, who is traveling to the hotel for his, for, you know, for, for a purpose in his storyline. Those are six guys that weren't on the actual episode of Nitro. Yes, we had the vignettes, the, the, the video packages from the NWO and the hotel room, but they weren't on Nitro itself. In the arena, if you've bought tickets to watch this, is it any wonder the crowd are flat? You're not seeing Savage. I mean, his music plays. You're told, here comes Randy Savage. He doesn't show up. Savage doesn't arrive that night. I mean, I don't know whether he worked a dark match. But potentially he did, but I'm talking literally just what we saw with regards to the, the, the two hours of television and the crowd reaction for the TV show. The NWO are the hottest thing in wrestling at this point. They're not in the arena. Sting is obviously a big, big deal. He's the, the franchise player, as they reference him quite often. He's not there. I think we've now stumbled across a little bit of an issue with the WCW roster, when you've got the likes of the Rock and Roll Express in 1996, you've got Rick Steiner in singles action in the main event, which isn't, to me, that's not a big enough deal. I mean, Rick Steiner was always the less charismatic of the two. Scott always had the more star value to him. I mean, you've got Brad Armstrong and Jim Powers on this card. You know, it's... I, I just feel that it needs a little bit of restructuring. Uh, We know WCW never did well at creating new stars on their own, with the exception of a handful of people. But I think this is the first time we're really noticing that there's an issue with that. Jericho, we know, is going to be huge. And here he has a little bit of star quality already. Arn Anderson is, of course, Arn Anderson. 
So that, that goes without saying. But there was no flair this week. No explanation for that. There was no Rey Mysterio, who, who the, the crowd and the fans adore. No explanation for that. I think we're stumbling across a little bit of an issue that I hope gets addressed soon, rather than ignored and then you know the undercard starts to rot when the NWO swallow up half the roster in, in the coming months. So I think that's something that WCW at this stage in 96 needed to be wary of. Yeah. I feel this Nitro um, is very skippable, but if you skip the entire thing, you're going to miss a hidden gem of Chris Jericho versus Arn Anderson. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shape. That's a good shape. And Alex Wright, Dean Malenko as well. That was pretty oh, good. Yeah. That was pretty good. I mean, last week's episode of Nitro, uh, I think we both gave that a hit, didn't we? Yes. Last week's episode of Nitro was like the invasion episode, wasn't it? The, the NWO took over. The wrestling itself sucked last week. The wrestling yeah. itself was terrible. Uh, I, I can't even tell you what was on the card because I don't have any you know, want or reason to go back and watch any of it again. However, it got a hit from an entertainment standpoint because the NWO stuff was fantastic. The crowd were wild because they were in the building. It was just brilliant, brilliant TV. Here, we've probably got wrestling that's a bit better because of the matches that involve Arn Anderson and Dean Malenko. A lot more of the wrestling was still probably in the same bracket as the previous week, but we don't have that entertainment factor that goes along with the, the average wrestling. And I think the show really suffered for it this week. Yeah. They're finding their feet, I feel. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. But there we go. There we go. Uh, Join us next week then, when hopefully WCW pull the nose up on this. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have been very, very fortunate with this project here on Nitro Nights to have seen, especially since, you know, Scott Hall turned up on the 27th of May. We've seen some great television, some great wrestling and some great moments. Hopefully this is just a bit of a blip and WCW can sort this out for next week. But we will find out next week here on Nitro Nights. But before we depart, Danny, John, let everybody know whereabouts they can find your good self online and all the shows you're involved in, please. Absolutely, mate. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Ty Powell. Well, we're still on the road to Halloween Havoc. On the road to Halloween Havoc, we are indeed. Uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. And that's SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, and all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. And we cover all sorts to do with wrestling. Uh, we've got live shows beginning all the time. I mean, by the time you hear this in the corner, looking at the modern day WWE is starting a live show every Wednesday on the SJP world media, Facebook group, Twitch and YouTube pages, channels, however you word it. Uh, so check that out. We've got, as I said, nitro nights here. We've got chain wrestling as well. So much going on. And then if wrestling is, you know, only one of your interests, we've got numerous shows that look at television, sport, music again, nostalgia with back when so much going on, go and check out SJP world media on Facebook and Twitter. Have a little look through the pages, uh, check out some of our shows on your podcast players, and hopefully you will find something that you will enjoy. I think there's enough variety there that there's something for everyone. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty safe to say with how much stuff's going on with the network at the moment. Uh, but most importantly, you can follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter, and that's at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny. Even though the episode of Nitro was a bit of a wobbly one, a bit of a ropey one, I've still had a blast talking to you, my friend. I'll speak to you next week. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.